the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, great to be together. Let me encourage you, the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and listen, excuse me, and check in there. A lot of these great segments that we do, people will email me or text me after the show, and they'll say, hey, what about this or what about that? And I'll say, oh, go over there, and you can listen again, and people have questions on things. So do that. And um, also, you can sign up for the daily email, the wink, what you need to know, which is available over there. Again, ProAmericaReport.com. We will talk later today to our friend Ted Malik. I think I got to ask him more specifically. I can say this general statement. Ted Malik, our friend who has been um, fighting uh, some cancer, is doing great, doing a lot better, and um, is, uh, his health is on the rebound, let's say, which is awesome. And we'll talk with him about a piece he wrote about taking the escalator or the de-escalator in the Ukraine and what's happening. Uh, very clear-eyed guy, uh, Ted Malik. He's um, not a neocon uh, and he is not a New World Order guy, although he's been in the middle of uh, uh, those worlds in his long career. But he, and, and he's got a perspective on Putin and Putin's people. And so we'll see what he has to say. We'll also catch up with John Schlafly. See what John Schlafly says on the appointment, uh, the nomination um, hearings of Judge Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's what we're going to get to and what you need to know today. Today's wink. What you need to know is about what I call the Supreme Court Theater of the Swamp. And here's what you need to know. Remember when uh, Brett Kavanaugh was nominated and you said to yourself, man, this guy looks totally qualified. In fact, he looks a lot like uh, Chief Justice John Roberts and the others that have been nominated in the last few years. He's kind of been trying out for this job for a long time. He doesn't seem to have any statements. He hasn't written anything outside of the uh, norm, the idea of being someone who needs, wants to be on the Supreme Court. His nomination and the hearings were cruising along, and he looked like a shoo-in. He had the right credentials. He had the right recommendations. And Brett Kavanaugh was cruising along. And in the midst of that, you've got Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, who knew that Kavanaugh was going to be confirmed, and they just were grandstanding. It was Supreme Court theater of the swamp. And they were really just looking for sound bites to try to run for president. And it was working. In the sense that the media was playing along, you know, Kamala Harris was getting this head, blaring headlines on CNN and Cory Booker was crying. I don't know if he was crying in that one, but he likes to cry, gets emotional on and they were running for president. And they both ran for president. So Judiciary Committee hearings are just theater, Supreme Court theater, because everybody in the swamp knows the, the vote tally. And what's and and with Kavanaugh, you'll recall, it was cruising along until Michael Avenatti and a few others came up with the most horrendous accusations, and they tried to derail it, and they almost worked. It, it almost worked in part because the media covered as factual as no, he said as true 
the assertions, the allegations against Kavanaugh. They covered it as if it was true, like the Hunter Biden laptop, like the Russia hoax. You get the idea. So now here we are with Judge Jackson and it's Supreme Court theater again. And the theater is going on in the swamp. In the swamp, everybody knows Jackson has the votes. That she has the votes, Manchin from West Virginia, Cinema from Arizona, who have been thorns in the sides of the the side of the president uh, on his nominations and on his Build Back Better plan. They have they have signaled that they will sign off on Judge Jackson. That's she is Judge Jackson is going to get on the Supreme Court, and. Everything else is Supreme Court theater because there's not a real fight. There's not a real argument being made about her appointment. There's not a real conversation uh, being uh, being um, uh, the being um, entered into on what's happening uh, on her role on the court, on the judicial philosophy. None of that's happening. There is some red meat like Kamala Harris on, and Cory Booker on, on, uh, on Kavanaugh, you've got some you know, fights over sentencing pedophiles and what is, is pedophilia bad. Lindsey Graham is against pedophilia. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley is worried about sentencing, whatever. It's not real. It's not, either, it's not real. It's either feeding the base so you don't have a primary as a senator or it's trying to run for president. Ted Cruz will get in on this. And it's not real. It's Supreme Court theater of the swamp. And here's the, here's the one trick that I don't know why Republicans and conservatives don't understand. The media never covers it fairly. They're not going to cover the, the efforts to, to, to create sound bites that are, is happening in the Supreme Court theater right now. They're not going to cover it like they did for Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, where they made Kamala Harris and Cory Booker look good or tried to. Instead, they're going to make it creepy. They're going to make it the, the Republican men beating up on a black woman, you know, being too rough and not nice and being tangential and talking about pedophilia. Here's a trick I'll tell you. If you can put your name or your opponent's name in the same sentence with pedophilia, the person, the, your opponent is losing. You don't want your name, your, your, you don't want your, your name associated with a word like pedophilia. One of the reasons, you know, it's the old thing is um, if you're explaining, you're losing. If you have to explain an accusation against you, you're already losing ground. And if, you, if you're allowing yourself to the other side to frame the argument about something and you're talking about it, you would think, oh, well, Judge Jackson is going to have to answer questions about her sentencing preferences regarding uh, c- convicts of, of uh, pedophilia or, or pornography or something. But that's not, the media is not going to help. And so the Supreme Court theater is only hosted... It's only uh, moderated to the detriment of conservatives. See Brett Kavanaugh. He had a perfect set of hearings until they threw the most outrageous allegations at him. And then he paid the price. He goes to the supermarket and has people say, oh, yeah, look at that guy. He, He did this or that. Total lies, total fraud. And so it's not going to work well for the Republicans to enter into the Supreme Court theater and think that the swamp and the media and others are going to give them the credit, it's not going to happen. And so here we are. The American people, again, ill-served by the process, ill-served by the reality, and the facts of the swamp, what's actually going on, 
or that Judge Jackson's going to be confirmed. That's just what's going to happen. And uh, and you can you know you can you can you can say you want something different all, all you want. You can wish it was something different all you want. It's not going to be different. And that's the reality. And so I've only watched a little bit of it, the hearings. Uh, and and I, again, I don't think anything is changing. And so there, there you go with that. And uh, and the the question you ought to be asking is how much of the rest of what you're shown is theater? And how much can you believe of what you're shown? And how much is, is, is totally, uh, you know, is totally a fake and totally, um, you know, fake news. All right. That's what you need to know today. It's uh, the swamp. The, uh, the Supreme Court Theater of the Swamp uh, is going forward. Uh, one last thing, and uh, I'll get to this while we're talking because I got an email from one of our listeners. You can email me, by the way, uh, ed at phyllisschlafly.com, ed at phyllisschlafly.com. And uh, someone emailed me a question. They said, uh, I don't think Donald Trump's going to run. What do you think? And I just point people to the facts not speculation, the facts on the ground. The recent campaign finance filings show that former President Donald Trump has raised millions more in the first quarter of this year. Millions. I think 10 million, 12 million. He's up to like $130 million cash on hand. That's more than most, uh, either one of the current uh, tallies of the uh, political parties, the RNC or the DNC. He's, he's raised and, and he has raised money hand over fist. Now, here's a trick someone said. They said, but he's not being supported by the rich guys, the wealthy people, the ones that generally fund these big campaigns. Uh, that, my answer to that is that's true. He's being supported by grassroots contributions, which is even more amazing. Because those people, if you give someone, if someone gives to a campaign $100, they'll give $100 twice more. That's kind of the rhythm of giving in political campaigns. So when you get a grassroots person that gives you 50 bucks like they give Trump, they're going to give again. That list is valuable. But here's what else happens. In 2016, Donald Trump did not have the support of the big money folks. The big money Republicans that helped fund campaigns, they did not want Trump. And they didn't really want Trump until he won the nomination and really until the convention in Cleveland. And then they begrudgingly came across to him. He did not have the money and the support of the establishment folks in the Republican Party when he ran the first time. What he had was he had earned media from the cable TV outlets showing every one of his uh, uh, every one of his uh, rally speeches, which was huge. Right. And then he had the, the, the base, the grassroots an energetic set of grassroots that stuck with him. And that grassroots was probably maybe 30% of the, of the party, Republican Party back then. Now it's about 70% he's got the grassroots. Now he has about, about whatever, tens of thousands of donors to him. And yes, he doesn't have the same earned media, but he's got 100% name ID. So if people think he's not running, don't understand the facts on the ground. Today, he's running. A lot can change in the next six months or year, but today he's running. And um, you can take that to the bank. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with John Schlafly, Schlafly Report, and we will also uh, catch up and make sure and see what is happening with the great Ted Malik. We'll be right back, everybody. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's time to catch up with our old friend, John Schlafly. Uh, John Schlafly, of course, is uh, one of the leaders of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, and the eldest son of the late Phyllis Schlafly. And he has been writing a column uh, for the past almost five or six years. John, you can tell me. Fill me in on the exact number now. Uh, And the Schlafly Report with his brother, uh, Andy Schlafly. And uh, John, welcome back. How are you? Uh, Fine, Ed. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. First of all, before we get into anything else, tell me your thoughts on the Supreme Court, uh, the confirmation process, not necessarily, I guess, about Judge Jackson, but in general, um, uh, what do you think about what you're seeing? Well, uh, Ed, I think we know that Judge uh, Jackson is going to be in the mold of her mentor, the person, the, the justice that she clerked for, um, and she's going to vote against our uh, beliefs in uh, just about every important case, and yet the confirmation process does not permit Republican senators to really explore that. Mm-hmm. So it's very frustrating, and the Republican senators uh, like Hawley and Cruz have and Blackburn have kind of picked at a couple of scabs, but they're not getting anywhere, frankly, and it's kind of, it's very disappointing because they're not allowed to ask and the candidate is not allowed to answer any really important question about how she would decide cases when she gets to the court. Right. And I, and I guess, but I guess that's sort of um, the modern format now, right? And the Republicans did it too for three um, nominees and really go back to well, Chief Justice yes, Roberts. And, 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 you know, if your callers are, or if your listeners are old enough to remember uh, Judge Robert Bork, you know, that's where this all got started because that was back in 1980, what? I don't know, 86? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bork, who was, uh, you know, a leading conservative judge, and he was willing to engage uh, at great length uh, with the committee about his judicial philosophy, and uh, which is really what the nation really wants to know. But, yeah. Uh, his personality, for whatever reason, it didn't work for him. He was rejected by the Senate. And ever since then, uh, the mantra of the well, both parties has been to say nothing for, for the candidates, say as little as nothing. Certainly Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, when she was up for confirmation, refused to answer any questions about how she felt about different issues or would vote on different issues. And, uh, so now we have Katanji Brown Jackson, and uh, uh, you know, and the Republicans don't really or don't even dare to ask her uh, how she would vote because they know what the answer would be. So they're getting off on tangents about, you know, how, you know, whether she was uh, too lenient in sentencing a criminal that was before her as a lower court judge well of course supreme court judges do not sentence anybody so yeah all that's that right yeah, is a yeah. complete complete red herring well and uh just it's, a big waste of time i'm so disappointed frankly in the republicans well i mean and 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 it's um the the reality is and, and we'll get back to your column as i want to get to that um the reality is that um the uh uh 
it's really just theater for, um, in this case, I think guys running for president, right? I mean, remember, and just think about it back when it was Kavanaugh, I think it was Kavanaugh where uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, where they were just running for president. They were using it as a, and they got lots of coverage for being uh, nasty to Kavanaugh. Or, uh, but there you have it. I mean, all right, let's, John, let's move on. I want to ask you about your column this week. Uh, Andy and John Schlafly write their column. It's this week's is as COVID subsides, vax mandates remain. John, I was on the phone with a Missouri, uh, I was getting an update about a Missouri legislator who was hoping to pass a law, perhaps override the veto of the governor if they had to, to say that the mandates on things like vaccines must be passed by the legislature. In other words, to try to stop the unelected bureaucrats from being able to go in, say to the executive, hey, we need a mandate and the executive does that. Is that a good solution? Well, it's, uh, I would say, long overdue. Why That should have been done a year ago because these public health officials at the state and local level, and uh, you're referring to the state of Missouri where, you know, St. Louis County, which is the most populous county in Missouri, uh, has a public health official was issuing vax mandates. And even though the St. Louis County Council, including Democrats, and Republicans in a bipartisan vote uh, voted to stop it, that public specialists paid no attention to that and acted like he's not even responsible to anybody other than the public health community. And uh, so the mandates continue. Um, but as our column says, Ed, you know, the, the, some of the, the mask mandates are being lifted across the country as the disease is fading away. But the vaccine mandates are not going away. And, uh, you know, Biden is still dismissing, discharging members of the military who haven't been vaccinated. And uh, there are cases. He hasn't dropped the cases. There's one of them in the Supreme Court right now uh, on an emergency basis. So the, the unelected uh, public officials, public health officials are kind of like the deep state in the State Department who've taken our country to war without the approval of the American people against Russia. And, you know, they simply, you know, and they claim we're a democracy and we have to defend democracy, even though they've taken our nation to war without democratic approval. And, you know, this is all part of what Biden declared on Monday of this week, the new world order. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 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 John, let me pause. I want to go into the column for a second and mention this. Um, isn't it strange? Isn't it interesting? Um, and I know you're not a huge sports guy, but uh, I'll tell you that the Brooklyn Nets, the NBA team, one of their best players, Kyrie Irving, has refused to be vaccinated the whole time. And he's been upfront about it. He didn't play and he's not playing. He's not allowed to play home games in Brooklyn, New York, because they have the ban on vaccinated people in the arena that they play in. Although, actually, they, they allow fans in there that are unvaccinated, I guess, but they're not allowed anyway. But my point is very publicly identified and supported by his colleagues in the NBA. Uh, but we now know, based on what you're in your column, as well as others, there it looks like there's New York Yankees baseball players, New York Mets baseball players who are not vaccinated. And wouldn't it be isn't it interesting that they're prominent people? Aaron Judge is one that you refer to as one of the best players in baseball who were never vaccinated. We didn't know that. 
But, you know, all we knew was that everybody said you had to be vaccinated. Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge is one of the more capable, talented players. He didn't get vaccinated. I guess my point here is um, there's probably a lot more people, famous people that didn't get vaccinated that we didn't know about. Well, I think so. And this, the issue of baseball is is coming to a head. I think uh, when is opening day? It's in about uh, two weeks or three weeks. I mean, of course, the baseball players are down south now in spring training uh, with, with where there's more freedom. Right. But uh, the question is whether the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, is going to continue to enforce a requirement that baseball players have to be vaccinated. And, you know, so this... Somebody's going to have to blink on that issue, um, either the mayor or the Major League Baseball or the Yankees and, and, and Mets or the players. I mean, this is not this issue has been they've concealed Ed from the public just how many professional athletes have declined uh, the, the shot. And so that's all a big secret. We don't really know. But uh uh, with New York City enforcing a mandate and also Canada enforcing a mandate to go into the country. And, uh, you know, for the Yankees and the American League, we'll have to go to Toronto to play the Blue Jays. Right, right, and right. they won't be able to enter Canada unless they're vaccinated. So, uh, uh, John, uh, we're talking with John Schlafly, his column, of course, his post over townhall.com and also is archived at phyllisschlafly.com. John, the, the, the mandates, though, they do seem to be fading um, and one of your points is, OK, make them fade faster, like get rid of them faster. This is crazy. But I think the second point is don't let it happen again. Or, or you know, I mean, again, the progress in this case, it was the public health exception. Right. We public safety. We have to cover. Well, we're way past that now. And we're still living with restrictions, some of which may never be never, never go away. Well, that's right. And when, you know, when a someone uh, get, uh, collects power, they don't want to let go of it. Mm-hmm. And that's true of any aspect of our government, unfortunately. And uh, or, or fa- our framers gave us a constitution in which the most, the body with the most power was supposed to be the House of Representatives, which faces the voters every two years. And the House of Representatives goes out of business at the end of the second year. So that's and yet uh here we have the house under Nancy Pelosi has essentially doing nothing they you know they assemble but they don't do anything and and uh uh because all power resides elsewhere and uh uh so the most recent thing the house did ed you know this is not in the column but they passed a law to make it illegal to discriminate against hair style and I didn't know that was a big problem, but yeah. apparently there was a constituency. Uh, they've passed something called the Crown Act, uh, which uh, will give people who who feel like they have unusual hairstyles that they uh, that they have a right to sue. Uh, I mean, this kind of nonsense uh, is what the Pelosi Congress is doing instead of handling our nation's most important uh, issues. It is, um, yeah, it is uh, a crazy, except 
as you say, when they have power, they don't want to give up power. By the way, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, wrapping it up, I just have to tell you, years ago, I asked your mother, the late Phyllis Schlafly, about the issue of vaccines. There was a a parents group that was upset about some vaccines or whatever. um, And I remember talking to her about it, and we didn't get into the science of one or the other vaccines. But she did uh, go on at some length about the fact that the one thing that shouldn't happen is there shouldn't be mandates, especially on parents forcing, this is happening a lot, forcing kids against their parents will to be have to have to do some kind of mandate. And we see even that, you know, that finally New York, uh, I think is announcing that they're going to drop the mask mandate for children under five, but children older than five in school still has to wear a mask mandate. And nobody thinks the masks is effective. So it's uh, wild. Okay, John, I got to run. John Schlafly, everybody go to phyllisschlafly.com. John Schlafly's weekly column is archived there. Thank you, John, for coming on. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We're back with our old friend, Dr. Ted Malik. Ted Malik, of course, is a uh, accomplished businessman, a professor, lecturer, and uh, now a, a writer, a historian for years, but also writes columns, especially over at American Greatness. His recent piece, which I want to ask him about, is called The Ukraine Escalator, and uh, it is, I'll put it up on social media. Welcome back, Ted. How are you? I'm very well, Ed. Thanks. First of all, what's your assessment broadly of what's happening in the war in Ukraine now? I mean, I know it's, it seems to move rapidly, but where do you think we are? Well, I am not a military strategist, so I, I really can't comment with any keen insight on the battle itself. Right. It seems to me to be something of a stalemate, uh, the special military operation of one uh, Mr. Putin seems to have failed. They're bogged down. The Ukrainian resistance is stronger than people expected. They have a backbone. And um, it looks to me like um, it's getting worse from the perspective of civilians because Putin's warmongering tendencies, which are the old Soviet style of war making, mean that entire cities will be destroyed and shelled. Yeah. That, so and that's what it, when I look at this um, piece that you wrote and it's a few days old, but the, the the reality is it's the same question here is that you at, at, in the, at the end of the first sentence, you say um, either things can either get much worse or we find a proverbial off ramp. And the question, the problem is, you know, late in the next paragraph or two paragraphs, later, you say, you know, uh, Putin, Putin can't be trusted, but Biden is backfooting it. I mean, you know, the, the, the reality is we're in the worst of all worlds in the sense that we have a a, a, a Russian president who is willing to be maniacal in pursuit of his agenda. And we have an American president that doesn't seem to have a clue. So he's not exactly providing something, some stability to say, we want this to change. Here we are. And Europe's not either. Right. I mean, and I guess, Ted, you know, almost all these players, what can change the dynamic to actually give us some path to peace? Well, this is a important thing because the escalator, as I said, goes up and down. So there are reasons for it to go up and to escalate slightly. I don't mean we should start an all-out war, certainly nuclear war against Russia. But the escalator could also go down. This is an unnecessary war, Ed. Right. If I had been Secretary of State, which is not altogether an unrealistic proposition, but if I had been president, 
this war would not have occurred because we would have shown resolve over a year ago. We would have put it to uh, Putin and he would not have moved. This war now needs to be resolved. We need a ceasefire, first of all, and we need a negotiated peace. Now, in a different regime, in a different world order, not Joe Biden's silly world order, the Americans would have played that role. Now we talk about Saudi Arabia, Israel, Turkey, you name it. We need to de-escalate, and we do that as well by strengthening our resolve, and that means escalating by giving the damn Ukrainians the defensive weapons they need. Well, and and uh, we're talking with Ted Malik, and again, his piece is over at American Greatness. I'll put it up there. You know, you also refer to in this piece um, the 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 notion of peace through strength, right? That you're not going to get, this is not going to be resolved by everybody thinking, oh, well, let's just get along. It's going to be, it's not worth the trouble for me to keep this going because it's causing more pain than I want to deal with over time. And it's not going to just be economic, although that's probably working pretty well, right? I mean, the economic, uh, they've taken the uh, Russian economy back 30 years, at least since the fall of of the Cold War, Right. But so, again, do I'm talking about Ted uh, practically. How do you when you have Germany tripping over themselves to continue to buy uh, energy from Russia? They're basically admitting as soon as they can, they want to go back to it. Or Iran is saying strike a deal so we can basically break the sanctions. You know, we'll be the back channel. And and in in America, we have a sort of stumbling, bumbling president. What's what dynamic changes? Who can who can be the leader here who puts this together? Uh, Donald J. Trump. I think we should uh, facetiously outsource it to Trump and make him <laughs> special ambassador to the, U- to the Ukraine. Can you imagine? Uh, look, my my whole reality, not, not just growing up but serving as a diplomat, uh, was during the Reagan era. And it proved over and over again, as you said, that peace comes through strength, weakness begets aggression, resolve is the only thing, let me tell you, is the only thing the Russians respect. So we have to be willing, if we don't want to go to a hot war and we don't want to have World War III, which I certainly don't want to have, we need to change the course of this past. I hope, I mean, I, I know it's a, it's a hope and a prayer, but I hope and pray that today in Brussels, uh, Biden gets some of that uh, divine intervention, uh, you know, that he's able, you know, you know, to match, as we say in poker and game theory, uh, uh, you know, the thesis antithesis. And, and this is the moment. This is the moment. I, I agree. Strange bell, bedfellows are at work here. But this is the moment for America to show that it's still the leader of the free world. I'm not a neocon. I am not suggesting that we, you know, just make war. We need to make peace. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now I know you just said your divine intervention and I know you're a man of faith. So I know that's, that's real, but um, now we're talking real politics, real, you know, reality. What's your, what are the chances? I mean, what are the chances that we, what are your, what do you hope? I mean, what could happen? I mean, Biden suddenly steps up and, 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 uh, and, or is it, is it possible? We're talking with Ted Malik again, Ted, that, that, um, Putin really needs a deal now. And maybe he's in, you know, quietly in there saying, come on, we, I gotta get, I gotta get through this too. I don't, I'm going to lose everything if I keep going. 
Well, that's the poker game he's now playing. He didn't think that it would uh, go this way. He thought it would be over in three or four days. That has not been the case. So he needs uh, actually to step down himself and to disabuse himself of this uh, silly uh, Alexander Dugan and all these theories about Eurasian civilization and, and a new Russian empire. I mean, my, my favorite politician, I know yours, Ed, Maggie Thatcher once said, if you stand in the middle of a road, you get hit by both sides. <laughs> that's, um, that's right. Well, I, I really think that uh, we need to get out of this foxhole and we, we need to both take the escalator up prudently and within the contours of principal realism, but we also need to take the escalator down and we need to find a way out. And I don't mean assassinating, uh, you know, right. Putin. That's not very likely. I just say have the gumption, have the resolve, go to work, muster what's left in your frail and weakened existence and get a deal done so we can avoid any further bloodshed. Cause this is really ugly. I it's, mean, we're talking about 10 million displaced persons. Yeah. Is uh, 6 million refugees. We don't know how many people have died. 20, 30, 40. Some people say a hundred thousand people already. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik. Ted, is there another European leader who could also play a role? Is there a place where uh, can, can Boris Johnson or Macron? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm reaching it, uh, grasping at straws a bit, but is there someone that could step in here that would help change the dynamic? Jeez, uh, I, I mean, knowing all these people, it's, it's a feeble bunch of uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, less, less than worthy. Oddly enough, the person who has stuck his head out of the hole and may have some uh, wherewithal with both the NATO allies and with Putin, oddly enough, is the president of Turkey, Erdogan. Hmm. Uh, and he could potentially, uh, you know, for all of his uh, <laughs> yeah, shortcomings, he yeah. may be able to help move at least a first ceasefire, a rediscussion. Uh, a return to the Budapest uh, Accords of 1995, which I remind you is really the basis for the relationship both sides should have with the Ukraine. Can you envision, Ted, a peace that would actually allow, however, um, the sanctions to be rolled back? I mean, one of the problem, right? I, I know you had to do it this way. You had to say, you know, um, you will never be able to function in the world economy, Russia, not with this guy, not within this time. You had to do that. You can't say halfway. Um, but but he's not going to take that, right? If I mean, if you say peace, but still cripple your economy, is there a way that you could roll some of it back? Well, diplomacy has largely to do with a word that we're uncomfortable with <laughs> in personal life and in international relations. It's called compromise. Right. So, yes, there would have to be some compromises. I talk about a plebiscite, for instance, in certain eastern provinces uh, of the Ukraine. And, yes, you could have a rollback on certain sanctions. So you, you'd have to have that mechanism built in. Right. right. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not a, a, a pleasant-tasting yeah. Uh, resolution. But we are talking about war and peace here. Right. Right. Well, and and, and a good deal. I mean, the, the art of the deal, our, our friend, uh, former President Trump could say the art of the deal. You go away and everybody's happy with something like no more war and everybody's unhappy with something, too. Right. I mean, that's the nature of a of a probably a, the best deal you can get um, in this context. All right. Ted Malik, as always, thank you. Uh, we'll put the piece up on social media. Glad you're writing so frequently. Keep it up and we'll look forward to talking again soon. 
Okay, thanks. Thanks, Ted. Ted Malik, everybody. Again, over on, I'll put it over at theproamericareport.com, a link to his uh, segment, uh, his essay, and a link to this segment. Um, so check it out over there. And uh, don't forget, proamericareport.com. It's great. Um, I've talked about it before on the air. Ted's a good friend, and he's been writing more prolifically in the last few weeks after some health issues. So we're optimistic. He just told me some news offline. So we'll keep praying and you keep writing, Ted. We'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Here is Phyllis Schlafly. Many people do not realize the peculiar ideology of the feminists. They are not promoting equality of male and female. They are for interchangeability of the genders. The feminists are at war with Mother Nature, and Mother Nature keeps winning. So the feminists are constantly angry at what they call the patriarchy. The feminists oppose competitive games where somebody wins and somebody else loses, and they manifest this particular ideology starting in elementary schools. The feminists do not like games that boys like, such as the game of tag. Some feminists suggest a game called Circle of Friends, a non-competitive version of tag, and that silliness has been implemented in a few schools. Taking winners and losers out of the game of tag and having them play non-competitive versions of other games are supposed to make rambunctious boys in grades K through third grade less competitive and less aggressive. The scholar Christina Hoff Summers has written extensively on the barriers that boys face in school and college. She points out that a powerful network of feminists is working to promote training for girls to enter boys' fields and have co-opted large sums of our tax dollars to spend lavishly to guide girls into fields dominated by boys. Here's one of Christina Hoff Summers' helpful pieces of advice. Instead of spending millions of dollars attempting to transform aspiring cosmetologists into welders, education officials should concentrate on helping young people, male and female, to enter careers that really interest them. Right now, boys are the underserved population requiring attention. When you reflect on how boys are treated in public schools, it's no wonder that they dislike school and have less interest in attending college. In many colleges, boys are now only about 40% of the student population. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back. Let's finish up with one piece of commentary. I've told you about the the problem of self-censorship. Uh, we've talked about this, that in the when the culture, when the environment around people is such that the cost of saying something is um, is too much, they start to the cease saying it. 
And this is of the famous description is uh, Valak, Valak Havel, Valak Havel, the, uh, then became the Czech Republic's president. He was a dissident. He was uh, behind the communist uh, uh, lines back in the late 70s and early 80s when he wrote an essay called The Power of the Powerless. And he talked about how the guy that ran the um, supermarket uh, in that era didn't have to put, put up a sign, always put up a sign in the window that said, uh, um, workers of the world unite. And he said they weren't asked to do it. There was no rule that they had to do it, but they did it as a way to signal that they were on the right side of things, both for a, a shop, a, 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 a um, shopper and also for the powers that be. And he was talking, he goes on to talk about self-censorship and all. And we had this writ large, how it affects everybody in our current uh, society. When Judge Jackson was testifying before the Judiciary Committee and Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee asked her if she could define the word woman. And you could tell that Judge Jackson was surprised by the question. You know, she had, I'm sure they call the, they call the preparation for these kinds of confirmation hearings. They actually, they call them murder boards, murder boards. And the term murder board is a term given to, um, the situation where you get three or four people who pretend that they're the senators and they, uh, and you actually sit in front of them, you know, Judge Jackson or whoever the confirmee is, and you go through the process of getting really just beaten up by hostile questions, by being put on the spot, by people that are unpleasant, and you don't um, fake it, you don't um, stop and laugh about it, you actually just play it like it's real, and you go through the process. And, and by definition, these murder boards, the participants are supposed to be rough and come up with lines of questioning. So Judge Jackson would have been through lots of questions about her uh, history, about her clients. She represented some of the Gitmo people, I guess, or uh, she re- represented some clients in, in her uh, when she was at a law firm that, that her pro bono cases that were questionable people, and she had some different things and all that. She would have had all those go gone through not sure she would have had the she would have questions about abortion how to answer uh, about questions that were coming before the court you can see she had practiced she wasn't ready for this one what's the definition of a woman she said i'm not qualified i'm not a biologist now there's only one reason that you would not answer the definition of a woman and it's because you know that the culture the society is going to try to cancel you that if you answer that in the way that's honest there would be people on the left who would object that's that's my the only way i can read that i can't read her mind but she couldn't answer the question what's a woman the supreme court justice that should be her quote that should go down in her wikipedia profile She couldn't answer what the definition of a woman is, and we're going to put her on the Supreme Court. And my point is only that she's self-censoring. She's not answering because she knows that she's not able to in the client in the the climate we're in. That's what that is. All right. Thank you as always. I got to run. Uh, Thank you to Noah Dingley, our producer, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.